Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EVCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. I know Dawson was completely shocked that after scoring a bunch of runs this weekend, the Tampa Bay Rays scored one run yesterday. I'm sure he was shocked by that. But the Astros scored a bunch of runs yesterday and scored a bunch of runs the day before. Eight runs is not a bunch of runs. Eight runs is not a bunch of runs. No, that's a good that, – that's per. Well, I mean, I think perfect's probably more like six, but there's nothing wrong with eight. I mean, <laughs> single-digit runs is fine. But that's ten normal. is too many? Well, 11 back-to-back, first of all, that hardly ever happens. And second of all, when it happens, I mean, you will pay the piper. I mean, the piper will be paid. Now – no, you, you're not paying any Piper. You're just naturally not going to score 11 runs every game, but it has nothing to do with any No, no, no. The Piper gets mad. You have to pay <laughs> no, he him. Doesn't. No, 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 no. You you have to pay the Piper. So they had to pay the Piper, but the beauty, of, like the misunderstanding that people have is that that they, they think, well, Kevin thinks they're going to lose. No, you don't have to lose. You just have to pitch well. And so that was textbook yesterday. That was a textbook victory. Um, for the for the Rays and what made it even better, what really there's a lot of reasons why that was a great win for the Rays yesterday. Uh, one of them is they're probably going against the Red Sox best pitcher. Well, right now he is their best pitcher, and they were pitching like their number five starter who got lit, and so they they pitched him, but they they did the opener thing before they pitched him. So that was that was just a tremendous victory yesterday, uh, and you know, I, I mean, I you know, you would think that they might score a few more runs, but they they were really due. The Piper had to be paid, so they they got a tremendous victory. Now, the Rays are ten and zero. Get this, this is amazing. The Rays are the first team since the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. So I said, the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. I just don't have any specific. I didn't have a lot of memories of that 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. I certainly remember Tom Troublehorn. He was their manager. So get this. Not only... Did they win 10 in a row? They won their first 13, the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. Not only did they win their first 13 games after their first loss, they won their next four. The 1987 Milwaukee Brewers were 17 and 1. 
And the Piper, guess what happened to him in May? The Piper got him because they really weren't that good. I mean, nobody's that good. No one's 17-1. and one. Think about this is incredible. In May, because back then they started in April. So in April, they got off to a 17-1 and one start to the season. In May, the next month, they lost 18 out of 20. Is that unbelievable? I, I didn't remember all that. So I was like, I got to look up this team because I just don't remember anything being special about that team. They lost 18 out of 20 in May after winning 17 out of 18 in April. They won six of their final eight games in the season to win 91 games. So they started out 17 and one, and they won 91 games. Now, Winning 91 games is not a bad season, but when you start out 17-1, and one, you should win, you know, you would think you would win more than 91 games. But they finished third in the division and even make the playoffs. And they start out 17-1. and one. So, like, when someone called yesterday and said, you think they're going to run away with the division, my answer is no. Now, we all know that the 2013 race, just like the 2000. 2013, 2023 Rays, just like the 22 Rays and the 20 Rays and the 19 Rays and the 18 Rays and the 17 Rays, they're way smarter than the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers were. So do I think the Rays will probably win um, a little more than 91 games? Probably. Do I think they're going to make the playoffs? Yes, I picked them to make the playoffs even before I knew they were going to start out the season 10-0. and 0. So I'm not saying dismiss the Rays by any means because I learned a long time ago not to dismiss the Rays because I realized they're smarter than everyone else. But um, it just just some history behind this, this Brewers team of 87. It was, again, I had very few memories of that team. And then when I looked them up, it would, I couldn't believe what I almost couldn't believe how bad things went south. Like, think about the excitement that's generated in a month of April when you start out 17 and one, and then the Piper gets a hold of you, and in May, you can't win a game. <laughs> it's just wow. The, the ups and downs, just kind of craziness there. But, um, just a little historical perspective. But it hadn't happened very often. Didn't they say the, there was only like 10 teams that's ever done this? I think that was the number. Something like that. Like 10 teams that had ever done this. So that uh, just a little history, historical perspective behind the Rays start uh, to the season. The Astros, again, just my my goal right now. Until you get all your ducks in a row, just don't get swept. And I know a lot of people were not happy. And there, I even saw people on Twitter, oh, panicking about the Astros' three and six start. I, you know, I, I never like to lose. Losing's not fun, but certainly nowhere near even worried, much less panicking. I mean, I'm not even worried. But the the value of not getting swept is it doesn't take very much to get your head above water as long as you avoid sweeps. So, yeah, three and six was not good, but 
just a few days later, you're five and six. If you win today, then you know you're back at five hundred. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's very, 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 very early. El Pedro Grande. I mean, he is just uh, at least the major leagues in RBIs, and he is. You know, Mauricio Dubon, who, by the way, is off to a good start. I, I've been saying since they got him, I, the guy just can't hit. But he's doing a much better job of getting a bunch of singles to right field. And that's what he should do. He's not a power hitter by any means. So he's doing a good job of doing what he can do. And... That's tremendous. I mean, you know, who knows? Altuve's probably going to be out five or six more weeks. Um, Maybe even seven more weeks. Somewhere around six weeks, though, probably. And so in that time, he just needs to continue to play good defense and... And get as many hits as he can. Look, there have been plenty of years where Altuve, to this point, through what have they played, 11 games, would not be hitting or playing as good a defense as Dubon has played. So you could argue that Dubon right now is playing better than they than Altuve would have in the first 11 games. You could easily argue that. So I'm not, um, you know, that you just want to get as many Good performances, as much hitting out of Dubon as you can. Now, to be fair, Dubon hadn't been playing every day like Altuve would have been. Uh, and Hensley had a couple of good games, but he also had some eh, games. So, um, no, the it was a great victory yesterday for the Astros. Bregman did get an RBI single. He walked a bunch. And, you know, he's a slow starter, which Bregman is always a slow starter. So not really, there's no reason to be concerned about that either. Um, and so it's um, it's it seems like it's all good on, on the Astro front. But know that, you know, Muncie had a big game last night. That guy's been doing nothing, so I didn't play him yesterday on my fantasy team. And, of course, he hit two home runs and drove in seven. But, you know, that's kind of the way. That 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 stuff goes. So tonight we've got play in NBA. Tomorrow we've got play in NBA. And so um you know that I think even if you're not a huge NBA fan, you know, the 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 do or die part of a play in game has to have some intrigue, I would think, for fans. I mean, it's 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 do or die. Uh, I know a lot of people think it's silliness. I get that, but it, you know, like I I thought it was kind of silly the whole one game playoff that we were doing in the major leagues for a few years there. But that doesn't mean there wasn't great drama in that one game. Even though I would not have voted to do that, I. You know, baseball is a series sport. It's always been a series sport. So I think to have a postseason one game. Now, I I get how it used to be where if you were tied for first, you played game 163 like the Astros did in 1980. But but that's a different scenario. To have a, quote, 
playoff, I was going to say series, and for that series to be one game, it's just, I guess it's the baseball version of in the mid uh, 80s, early to mid 80s, they had this, they had this, they went through a stretch where they played best of two out of three in the first round. I thought that was silly back then. Um, stupid uh, Ralph Sampson hit that goofy shot and beat the Lakers one year and eliminated them in the first round. Um, but I, I don't, so I, I, you know, it's a serious sport. And I, I didn't like the one game thing. But again, that one game was great drama. Just like you may not like these play in games or the whole philosophy behind it, but it is drama. And so we'll see, especially uh, the Pels are involved in it. And I don't know. I, di- I didn't get a chance to hear Ollie. Did, did, was he predicting a victory or no? No. He didn't. He well. He predicted a win against Oklahoma City and a loss in the second playing game. They done pretty well against Oklahoma City this year. Yeah, they're three and one. That's but what the, I thought. The game yeah. they lost, I was at covering, and they got destroyed in it. So I have a bad taste in my mouth <laughs> yeah. for Oklahoma City. So we'll see. So if they lose this game, what what? what how much of this falls on the coach, or does he get a total pass here? No, I don't think he gets a total pass. I do think you still have, like, an overall progression. Like, that's the the weird thing about it. It doesn't feel like that, but they have incrementally increased their win totals each of the last three or four years. So, you know, I, I'd be okay. I, I think you bring him back. But, you know, he certainly wasn't He's – he's got some questionable game management decisions, and, you know, some of his personnel – he chooses not to play in certain moments that a lot of people don't understand. So, I mean, he doesn't get a complete pass, but I I do think in general he still has them moving in the right direction. Again, he didn't have his best players most of the year. He didn't even have Brandon Ingram for most of this time, too, not only without Zion. So, you know, you want, you had a winning record. That's a step in the right direction. You won more games than you did last year. So it's not all negative, even though the last couple of weeks and all the in, in news around Zion is just so – you know, depressing and just unfortunate, yeah. but. But I still say it's, um, it would be fun to win. And I know there are plenty of Pels fans who are probably like, just lose and get the season over with. I mean, I think a lot of them, but if I were, if it was my team, I'd still want them to win this game. I mean, you just want to win, especially once the game starts. I get in a vacuum, you might say, eh, I kind of wish they would just, I'm tired of the misery, just get it, put me out of my misery and all that. But I still say, once the game starts, you, you got to pull for them to win. All right, we'll take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back 
to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. I mentioned yesterday that Oklahoma's playing at LSU in softball today. I understand you schedule games before the season starts. And in some sports, you schedule them two and three years before the season starts. I get that. But, man, I don't – I'm trying to figure out, like, which team does this game make any sense for? Uh, I don't – I don't. you know, uh, I don't, I'm just – it's just kind of a surprising game. Like, early in the season, you play those kind of teams – and I certainly don't want to discourage because I love the idea of Power 5 schools traveling to Power 5 schools in non-conference games. I mean, I I don't think we have this nearly enough in sport, in college sports. Um, You know, that's one of my pet peeves, I, I think, at the collegiate. I, I think in football, I don't think you can do it in every sport. But I think in football, one of the few productive things that some sort of NCA entity or board or committee or whatever could do is schedule for all division. I think an independent person, which would, you know, be the NCA in some form or fashion, should schedule all division one football games. Um there's too many teams in the other sports to do that. But because of and and in those other sports you can determine things on the field by winning your conference tournaments by winning your leagues in football you can't do that for the most part you can win all you want it doesn't do any good so in a sport like that i think you should not be able to schedule your own schedule. So I've always thought that was a, you know, a joke. Uh, and, and I still feel that way. I think there should be some sort of independent board. So with that, coming from that philosophy, I, I don't want to sound negative at all because I think it's great that Oklahoma's playing. I just like, whoa. Like, I don't know. that It certainly doesn't help Oklahoma. And now, if LSU beats Oklahoma – then it'd be tremendous. So I guess you say from an LSU perspective, it's like, um, you know, just a great opportunity in that you get them at home. I, I think maybe they kind of understand how mid-majors feel in a lot of other scenarios in this situation because there's a pretty big difference, even though LSU's got a, you know, a good record and a good RPI and all that. Oklahoma's just kind of at a different level. Than, than most programs, and you could argue than any program. Of course, my memory of Oklahoma softball is their facilities were so poor when I did, went there for a Super Regional, I was out in the rain with a computer. But, um, you know, that, I digress. But it is um, just an interesting game. Tonight, the Cajuns play Baylor. Uh, there was a stretch there where the Cajuns were playing Baylor a lot. They haven't played them as much in recent years, but... You know, they've played them quite a bit, and it just goes to show you the difference between softball and all the other sports at this university because the Cajuns are playing Baylor tonight or scheduled to. 
I haven't checked the weather report at A&M tomorrow. Cajuns are ahead in the all-time season, all-time series between over both of those teams. Um, you know, you're not going to see that a lot playing Power Five schools where you have the you know you own you have the season series lead. Weather in Waco looks good. That's good. Now I am hearing, speaking of weather, that we're going to have weather this weekend. Have you heard that? Like 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 eighty percent chance of rain Saturday. Kind of someone told me. Yeah. Well, I I mean it's I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's going to be bad all weekend, but yeah, it looks Saturday looks like there's there's going to be some showers and some things to move around. But um, ideally, you'll have Sunday to maybe play doubleheader or Friday to. Again, you don't usually play a doubleheader on, on Friday, sun, so. but on Sunday you don't either because it's normally getaway day for teams. Well, you can maybe play like a 10 a.m. Yeah. type of thing, maybe two seven inning games. Now baseball should be fine. Softball is a little more complicated. Uh, in terms of field preparation-wise, if it does rain a lot. Um, but this is a big series for both. I mean, Troy is good in baseball. Of course, you know, the getting swept last year kind of still seems to be was on Coach Dex's mind because he said it pretty quickly when I talked about Troy. And Coach... Glasgow has been pretty well he's pretty he doesn't hide his feelings very much I mean he might be the most un-PC coach I've ever dealt with since like Larry Dotry but it's you know Larry was his own his own he did totally different you know the most unique guy you ever gonna deal with but anyway um and but Coach Glasgow's been pretty honest, and and like he thinks Texas State is probably the second best team in the league, and the, and their biggest challenge, and so um, that's a big series for for them as well. Uh, man, if they could, I don't know what's about to happen. I, I haven't been. I saw Baylor didn't Baylor had a really good weekend series recently, but I haven't really followed Baylor and A and M a great deal to know where they are in terms of injuries and you know they've been hitting or they've been pitching or you know all that kind of stuff that I know about where the Cajuns are. Um, but it just if they could get these wins, and you know the Cajuns are probably in as good a position as they've been all year long just because you know they kind of have figured out their offense and their lineup a little bit so I, I would think they're probably in as good a position as they've been all year long to to go and play these games and you know does it mean you're gonna win you know I was gonna say it's baseball it's softball it's it's still similar and um but I it seemed like it's a good time to go play these games because you, you got a little confidence you got a little consistency. You got hitters who are really playing at a high level in the two, three, four right now, and uh, your pitchers have done well. You've got a lot of options in this circle, so there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things to like about their chances in these two games. But we um, we have to see. By the way. And we we're going to spend a lot of time on softball because we're going to be uh, talking to Bobby Nova in about an hour, and so we'll be talking more Cajun softball then. 
But I asked Coach Glasgow after the press conference yesterday, I don't know if you remember, there was a game, I don't know if you were watching, I was following it and watching some of it. When they opened up at Southern Miss in softball at the beginning of the conference season, there was a game where there was a, the fans were really up in arms about the balls and strike calls. Uh, maybe game two or something like that. I don't remember which game it was. And when when I asked Coach Glasgow about it, when he went back and watched it, he actually said, eh, the umpire was right. Like, there might have been one or two calls, but for the most part, the all the belly aching was not accurate, that the umpire was actually right. It seemed like Kandra was getting squeezed in the inning that she struggled in game one on Saturday where the Cajuns were up 7-1 to one in the seventh inning, and it looked like, you know, they were just going to just win easily, and, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's dying runs at second base, and you're like, what is about to happen here? Um, and when he went back and looked at the replay, he said he thought the fans were right on this one. So <laughs> that, they, that she was getting squeezed and that – they quite a few calls were missed on that balls and strikes. So it's hard for me, you know, it's pretty easy to criticize balls and strikes when you're watching a major league game now on TV because it has the little box. Now I don't think the box is foolproof. I really don't. I think I think where the little dot in the box is not a hundred percent thing to me. But but it gives you actually, you know, a ninety something percent chance at the very least of, of seeing what's going on. But most of the time when I'm in the press box, I can't tell because the pitch looks good. I'm not right behind the plate. So it's almost futile for me to argue balls and strikes because I can't really see the plate like I can watch it TV. So I don't always know. I just know that fans get mad in anything that's close. So it's I don't really know. But uh, he said he saw the replay and he, he thought quite a few of them were missed. So just something to um, – to, for a little perspective there as we criticize our umpires and our pitchers about the performance they had or didn't have. We'll take a timeout. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about college baseball or softball, certainly feel free to do so. If you would like to talk about NBA going into the playoffs, that's certainly um, on, you know, topic for discussion right now. I do want to discuss... You know, our Major League Baseball um, always up for discussion during the season. But I do want to, we are now, what is that, 16 days away from the NFL draft. Two days from now, we're going to be two weeks away from the NFL draft. And 
there's a lot of things I enjoy about the NFL draft, but once you get a, as we get closer, one of the things that I don't like is uh, it's not that I don't like it; it just gets frustrating. It's like trying to figure out what to believe and who to believe and what reports to believe, because. For most of the last two months, the most popular line of thinking is that the Arnolds, well, at least once they made the trade, were going to pick C.J. Stroud because he's bigger and their head coach has more of a history of that. But the, if you believe it, if you believe the majority of the mainstream draft analysts slash experts now, they're saying Bryce Young. So I don't know if anybody's thought about any mocks, but like I've penciled down one. I think it was last week sometime, maybe two weeks ago now, something like that. And I put C.J. Stroud, but now I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, which one do you buy more? The C.J. Stroud going to be number one or the Bryce Young going to be number one? I would take C.J. Stroud. And I think Carolina, I would, it, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I buy, I, report, again, like this time of year, reports come from everywhere. So yeah. I don't, But I would take C.J. Stroud. So if I had to put a mock down right now, I guess I would have, Stroud down there. I just wonder why the change in, like, where's that coming from? Somebody's feeding them information, but again, that information might be a smokescreen. So I just wonder why they're thinking that. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, but you... It's like you, it's coming from somewhere, but it could come. It could be coming from anywhere. It could be coming from Bryce Young's camp. It could be coming from C.J. Stroud's camp. It could be coming from the number two team, the team that's in the second slot. You know, like anybody can feed information to an insider and say, "Hey, get this out there." And you know, I mean, sometimes it's done with good intentions. Sometimes it's done to deceive. And you know, I just don't. That's why I just don't really try to buy into much of it this time. When you start to see everybody have the same scoop, that's when I start to believe a scoop. You know what I mean? But but I still have never been able, and I've asked this question for years talking about this on the air. Why would anyone tell anyone the truth outside of their own camp? Like, why would anyone say the truth? Well, I guess if there's some, we, some way they feel like it's beneficial to them in the whole draft game, but why would you, why would you let people know what you were thinking? I Right, and that's why I don't really buy into most of, you know, the the Texans really want this guy. Well, it's like, well, why, why would they tell you that? <laughs> I just, I don't get that. I've never gotten that. And yet, all of these, all of these experts speak like there's some validity to it. But the other thing is, if they're just putting it out to trick teams, and and, and teams know that they're tricking them, then why are they putting it out? Why does anybody fall for it then? If they know that they put out the same kind of information. Like it's like it's a dog chasing his tail to me. 
It's like, what are we doing here? Like, teams are doing it to deceive other teams, but those teams are doing the same thing to deceive other teams. So why do they think these teams are going to fall for it? So why do they do it? Like, what are we doing? You've never thought that? Like, what no, are I mean, we I doing? Agree. That's why I don't pay all that much attention to it, and I just kind of wait for... Like, again, if, if, if it comes out that everybody's got the same information, then chances are that team no longer cares if anyone knows. They're probably like, yeah, whatever. This is the guy we're taking because we know we can get him. And that's when I start to go, oh, okay, that's probably going to be who it is. But at this point, nobody has any reason to be truthful. Even, again, like the Bears, yeah, they're going to say, oh, uh, at the beginning, of course they're going to say, oh, yeah, we don't really know about Justin Fields. He might be our guy because then he then teams go, well, we got to trade up for him. Yeah. Obviously, he was the guy the whole time. And I think teams probably knew that was probably the case. But you have to create some sort of illusion that you're willing to take a quarterback so that someone is willing to give you something to get the pick. Now, I guess if you're the Arnolds at number one, you don't really lose anything by telling people who you like because they can't do anything anyway unless you volunteer for it. So I guess that's more believable than anything anybody else. Um. There, there were a lot of reports out there that Will Levis was plummeting. I, I still don't buy that because I got to believe that somebody is going to trade up to three. I mean, my best guess would probably be the Titans, but, you know, guess. I mean, some people keep saying Seattle. I don't. I don't really think Seattle's that desperate for a quarterback. Um, the Commanders, I've heard people say the Commanders could be that team that trades up. It's kind of scary. Why aren't more people saying the Falcons could trade up? Like, why? if you're the Falcons... Why wouldn't you trade up for one of these? You're at eight. You're not, like, coming from 27. Well, I, I don't know if Atlanta's decided what the direction they want to go in general. Like, I, I, don't, I really don't know if they know whether or not they think they might. Like, I, I don't think they've given up on Desmond Ritter. But, again, it's, like, that's what's tough because if you take a quarterback in the first round, you're kind of telling Desmond Ritter you've given up on him. Uh, whether you actually have or not, that's the message that it's going to portray. Certainly. So, it's difficult. I don't know if they if they know if they want to take a quarterback or not. So I don't. I it, now maybe they'll make that decision at some point, and they will decide to. And then I guess then they'll start getting thrown in those rumors. But I think they're at a tough spot that they where they're in this quarterback purgatory situation that a lot of now they're they're not even as far along into it as some teams are because they have time to where if Desmond Ritter plays this year and it's ugly, they can they'll be right back in the top five, top ten of the draft next year. And and the quarterback class next year is. You know, probably going to be a lot better than this one from from the early indications of some of the guys. You think out. better because I think this class is way better than well, last I, year. I think next year's will at least be more top heavy because Caleb Williams is a better prospect than any of these guys right now. Yeah, but that's one guy, right? But so well, and so maybe maybe you don't feel good about the rest of the class. That that depends. But my point is, like, if Atlanta wants to kick the can down the road and say, "Let's give Ritter a year, see what happens," they have that opportunity to. They don't have to. You know, I don't think they're they're going to be very competitive this year, regardless. So I think their goal for the year is probably figure out what we're doing at quarterback, whether that's Ritter or someone else. We'll have an idea at the end of the season. 
Maybe they think they're going to be competitive. I'm sure everyone, you know, everyone thinks they're going to be competitive. So you would guess point. the Titans or someone else who's trading up to three? Tennessee makes some sense. Uh, they now they're another team though that's like they're caught in this. Are we still are we in win now mode or not? And I think you you heard a little bit of Derrick Henry rumblings at some point this offseason, you know, and I think that's what that comes down to. I think they they probably still think they have a window. Um, but again, like the other thing about all these quarterbacks, with the exception of Stroud to an extent and maybe Bryce Young, most of these quarterbacks aren't even even they aren't even Kenny Pickett level of a guy who's like, OK, maybe he's his ceiling isn't great, but he could probably play right now because he's a fifth year senior and he's got some you know, confidence and ability to run an offense. I don't think anybody thinks Will Levis can step in day one. And but play why is Kenny Pickett better than Will Levis? I'm not saying he's got more talent than Will Levis. I'm saying he came in as a more polished NFL-type quarterback who can come in and if we have to play him, I think he'll be more ready than Levis will be early on. You know, I hate talking about the teams in the NFC South, but I mentioned the commanders in the tight. The Yucks... I mean, it wouldn't shock me if they made a move for a quarterback. Yeah, no, and and again, like I don't buy the we love Kyle Trask thing that they've put out, and then they went out and signed Baker Mayfield, and that'll be, I guess, a competition between the two. So, yeah, I don't think uh, they're they're more of a team that also would make sense maybe take one of the project quarterbacks, play Baker for a year or two, and see what you have. And drive Hendon Hooker, maybe. Like they they're one of the people who wouldn't shock Possible. me if they put Hendon Hooker. At 19, it wouldn't shock me if the Vikings pick Hendon Hooker at 19. I was thinking the Ravens, but if you buy this Odell Beckham stuff, maybe maybe you don't think them as much. So um, one of the things about a mock draft that that that's just kind of messes it all up is if you don't do it, once there's a trade, if you don't do the trade, then your whole mock is all messed up. I mean, it's just all messed up. So I guess it's it can be relatively neat if you don't pick the right team that's going to trade up to three if indeed someone trades up with the Cardinals to three. Um, The Cardinals are in a unique situation because they kind of have their quarterback, but most of us don't think he's all that great, and yet you're kind of tied into him. So even though you're drafted in the top three, you kind of have to stick with him. And so that's a pretty good situation to be in. And you kind of feel like the team right behind you and the team behind them and the team behind them are not going to pick a quarterback. So especially if the Raiders trade up, which, you know, I don't think they're going to pick a quarterback. Jimmy G certainly is not an All-American lock for the future, but I don't but he's still relatively young although he's injury prone. So, it's possible that the three the next three teams are behind you are not going to pick a quarterback. So, um I think the Cardinals are in a great position here. Of course, you got to draft well and you got to hope that Murray is not a complete bust. All right. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. 
Medicine season. Now, a season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents. Also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. Like we've been doing the next couple, the next three days, we're going to have lots of interviews. So if you would like to get in today, Monday and Tuesdays are the best time to call. If you have something you want to discuss, certainly um, big picture like the NFL draft or specific situations coming off uh, you know, college baseball and softball races and the things going on there, the NBA playoffs, whatever. You uh, the, the, to the, most of the next hour, with the exception of we're going to be talking some Cajun softball uh, with our friend Bobby Nova at about ten thirty-five. But most of the next hour uh, will be time for open phone lines as well. You know, there's so many injuries that happen in baseball and one of the things I try not to do is to um, you know even though somebody's on a team that you don't pull for you don't want to be happy when people get injured sometimes it's it's very difficult not to at least do, hmm, when someone gets injured. One of those happened two days ago. I didn't hear about it till this morning. But um, the Astros' friend, Joe Kelly, the awful, and I finally saw the replay of O'Neill Cruz, and... His slide was awful. I mean, I, I don't know what he was doing. I uh, we discussed in that yesterday how it looks like like he, he was kind of undecided about how he should slide. It is amazing how many major league baseball players are really good at sliding, especially at the plate. Um, I I think you're better off doing the head first slide outside and just trying to come back and reach the the plate with your hand like a lot of guys do. Um but joke that that you know that there was a little not really a brawl, nothing really happened. But Joe Kelly who for those of you who may not know who Joe Kelly is, he's like one of the mortal enemies of the Astros cuz he's a punk. And he, when he was playing for the punks, and that's one of the reasons why I call them, I started calling them the punks a few years ago. Him and and Cody Bellinger and a few other guys on that team who who ran their miles. When you know anybody in baseball knows anybody that kind of has been following what was going on, that they were you know doing the using the technology to steal signs as well. You know, multiple teams pointed the finger at them. Um, Joe Kelly sprinting in from the dugout pulled I, I don't know if it was his groin or his hamstring might have been his groin I don't remember he pulled something and he went on the aisle so we don't want to celebrate 
but I'm sure there were a lot of Astro fans that did hmm, when they uh, heard that uh, that news. But um, you know that guy is is something. Now to his credit, he you know because the White Sox opened the season in Houston. To his credit, the Astro fans and I wouldn't have booed. I just not a huge boor when I the few times that I'm a fan in a game. Um, but I probably wouldn't have done it. But there were a lot of fans that were doing some serious booing at Joe Kelly, and he didn't react at all. So I was actually surprised. Um, you know, he's so much of a punk. I'm surprised he didn't show some kind of reaction or he didn't even give a facial expression. So I was I was kind of surprised and impressed that he handled all of that the way he did, but um, injured himself running in from the bullpen on a non-brawl. Kind of interesting. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Again, we're broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337 706 706-0111. If you would like to get in, man, we got... Uh, a busy Tuesday with the Cajun softball at Baylor. LSU, as we talked about in the first hour, softball is hosting Oklahoma. LSU baseball going to Tulane here at in town. Uh, Louisiana Tech is coming to visit the Cajuns at Russo Park and... Tech is 16 and 16. Uh, they've been very good in recent years. Um, you know, I I kind of glanced at their schedule yesterday. I glanced at their stats. It didn't look good. Um, they look better in Tulane from what you could just see by looking at their schedule and who they played and what their 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 stats are. Um, their pitcher tonight is a guy who is a right-hander. There are several things I look at when I try to figure out, you know, how dangerous or not dangerous a pitcher or a hitter or whatever it could be, but specifically talking about pitching here without having ever seen the guy because I haven't seen Louisiana Tech play any games this year. So he's only walked seven. He's given up a lot of hits, but I don't, you know, again, you'd have to go in and look at the games and what kind of teams has he played against, what kind of ballparks, what were the weather conditions, all that kind of stuff. If you were really going to do a deep dive and analyze maybe why he's given up so many hits. But a pitcher that doesn't walk a lot of batters, and he only has seven walks on the season, especially pitching in a pitcher's park, like when you play at T on the T Moore field, uh, it's it's not 
a hitter's part. It's a pitcher's part. So could be a little dangerous, could be a little scary. Now, again, part of the reason, and I totally get why Dawson gets a little frustrated sometimes with caught stealings. I totally get that because it is. It can be frustrating, especially when it seems like the guy, the next guy after the caught stealing is almost always on base. It kind of adds to the frustration, so I get that. But part of the reason why the Cajuns do that is Coach Deggs, I think, figured out a long time ago that you, there are going to be days that you're just not going to hit. And you need to be able to to still apply pressure and put the pitcher in a bad position as often as you can without having to get a bunch of base hits. And and he does that by running and you know, they probably bunt more than a lot of teams do. Not sacrifice bunt as much, but just try to to create runs. They they do a great job. They did it multiple times this past weekend where they got they get guys on first and third and they just steal a run. That's what I call it. I mean, it might sound like a – but it's not – it's smart. I mean, they just steal a run. They get a guy caught in a run down. They throw down and they score the run. I mean, they 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 he figures out ways to score runs without having to get hits, which – so I was a little surprised earlier this year when he was asked about sacrifice flies and he and yes they can be rally killers but you get runs. I understand it's better to score 3 or 4 runs in an inning than it is to score 1, but I still prefer scoring 1 than scoring none. So I'm not as against sack flies and runs without as a lot of people are. I understand that sometimes you want to get greedy and you want to, you know, have a big inning. But anyway, all those, any of those subjects, certainly feel free to call about 706-0111. Uh, NBA, we we just kind of barely mentioned in the first hour, the Hawks play the Heat at 630 tonight. It's TNT night tonight. The Timberwolves play the Lakers at 9 and then tomorrow, it's ESPN night with the Bulls playing the Raptors at 6 and the Pels playing Oklahoma City at 8.30. Just like it is with the Astros, it's very similar with the Pels. The national networks think that New Orleans and Houston is like, you know, like in Las Vegas or somewhere. They always put them, you know, they treat them like West Coast teams. I don't think they understand that we're in the central time zone just like Chicago is. Like, you know, we're in the central time zone just like St. Louis is. We're not like in California. California is a long way from here. But anyway, they always seem to treat the Astros in the in, in New Orleans, you know, year for years, the Astros were in the West. For years, the Saints were in the West. I mean, at least now they um, – well, the Astros are still in the West. But, you know, for a while at least they were in the Central. In the, and at least now that they have something called the South, the Saints are in the South. But I just – they treat them way too often. But anyway, 
you're going to have to stay up pretty late if you want to watch the Pels tomorrow night against OKC. But again, uh, it'll be on ESPN, so hopefully I'll get a chance to to see some of that game. 8.30 start, and we'll see what happens. We're also going to see, and look, I Dawson isn't a Laker fan. I hope the Lakers win, but wouldn't consider myself a fan anymore because uh, I don't follow it on a daily basis like I used to. But, I mean, I hope they win, but I, I'm I'm a little skeptical of – I heard it again this morning, and it just makes me want to pull for these teams. I heard it again this morning. The top three seeds in the West – I mean, I mean, this is what – a lot of analysts believe the top three seeds in the West, in their perception, and it may be reality that we got to play it out, but the top three seeds in the West have a least chance of winning, a le- less, a lesser chance, or have, or worst odds to win in their perception than the bottom, like five teams. Like, they even put the Lakers. They think the Lakers have a better chance of getting to the finals than the Nuggets and the Kings and the Grizzlies. It would be interesting, like, if the question I would ask, because I get Phoenix is skewing a lot of that thought, right? Because Phoenix is becoming the favorite in the West. But if you could have the top three or the field, but the field excluded Phoenix, I wonder what a lot of, the, a lot of people would take. Because you have Golden State in there at the bottom. Because Golden State's champs, in there too. But I still I don't I don't know I don't know who other than Golden State. Like I don't believe in the Clippers. I don't believe in the Lakers. I really don't believe in Minnesota, New Orleans, or Oklahoma City. Whoever comes out of that spot, you know. And and I do believe in Phoenix. I think Phoenix will win the West. But if it's not Phoenix, I don't know if I trust that. The, I, Golden State is the one that I would say. Yeah, they they've been there before, but. They just don't feel, again, in the championship hangover type thing, Like it, it's a little bit more difficult. They proved their point last year. I just don't know if they're going to play with as much to prove as they did last season. You know, I don't know if basketball is the same as like baseball and football, but you've got to, re- to win a world championship in baseball and football. you really got to be together. Like, you've got to... There's got to be a bond and a mission and a togetherness and a, I mean, you know, I'm going to pick up my brother's back and all this kind all of that has to be together because it's like, like even, like look at the Astros in the World Series last year. After two games, it wasn't looking good. And, you know, the, as the story went, you know, Michael Brantley stood up and, you know, basically slapped him around and said, look, we got to start playing right. You know, this team, we've gone too far to, to, to just let, you know, lose control like this. And then the next game's a perfect game. I mean, um, so we're a no-hitter. But – do you believe can the Suns and the War the Warriors haven't shown that all year that togetherness and can the Suns really do that? It's, the Suns are like an AU team to me right now. Yeah, but Durant and Chris Paul have known each other for a long time. Paul Booker and Aiton that core of Phoenix has been together. 
it's just an extra piece that's been added. So, and like I think Chris Paul is as good a leader as there is, and a guy who's who's pretty desperate at this point in his career. Now, I don't think Chris Paul can carry them to wins the way that you know he once was capable of with you know New Orleans and then on to some of his other stops. Because uh, I saw some highlights. It was it was that Pelicans Lakers series game one way back in the day when Chris Paul was on the Hornets where he literally just dominated the game and, and got the Pelicans a game one win. They ended up losing the series in six. But uh, I think overall Phoenix has enough talent, which they probably have the most of, and a few just guys that are really desperate at this point in their careers to, to, to show something. And I think Durant to an extent is that, and Chris Paul is certainly that. I... I, I... I think I, in a pinch, I would pick the Suns over the Warriors. So I, I, I agree with you, but um, I don't know. It's the minute that the Lakers are eliminated, I'm gonna want. There's something about the Grizzlies that I don't like. I don't, I don't really know what it is. I'm not. I mean, if you're a Pels fan, then you hate the Grizzlies, and you kind of own the Grizzlies, which kind of feels pretty good. If I guess if you're a Pels fan, I would, I would think, but. There's something about the Grizzlies that's hard for me to pull for, although I like the fact that they're in Memphis and they're not just, you know, one of the big city teams and the national media doesn't just fawn over them all the time. I like that part of, of, of Memphis. But but um, it'd be real easy for me to pull for the Nuggets because everyone just totally dismissed. I mean, I don't care anything about the Nuggets. One, I don't, I've never had much of a thought about the Nuggets one way or the other. But um, but the national media just dismissing them, I don't know, just kind of makes me want them to do well. I, I just kind of – it would. I would love to – I love when the mainstream blow-up guys, bigger, larger-than-life media gets proven wrong. So as soon as the – if the Lakers get eliminated, like I think, or whenever that is, I, I'm going to kind of hope the – of course, if they're playing the Nuggets, then, oh, well, it's just the way it goes. All right. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote is a walking, talking encyclopedia of New Orleans Saints history. No. Seriously. After that is 2013, which I call the forgotten Saints season because in so many people's mind, the Saints streak of good football ended with the Bounty Gate season. And it's not just recent history either. In 88, they finished 10 and 6, tied for first place in the division, did not make the playoff because they got cheated by a blind official named Fred Silver who absolutely cheated, uh, stole a game on Sunday night in a 13 to 12 loss to the Giants with his either blindness and ebony or cheating or whatever you want to call it. I think he was just blind and senile. We return to the man who's forgotten more Saints history than you will ever know. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Two footnotes. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. One of the things we didn't mention in the last segment was McNeese is playing Louisiana Christian tonight, six in baseball. In softball, uh, McNeese is hosting 
I mean, is going to Houston. Houston is 18 and 18. McNeese beat them nine to one earlier this year, obviously at a higher level uh, than Houston's program these days. So both of those should be W's. And, you know, midweek games, if you're a program like McNeese softball, which is good, and, you know, midweek games can be more important than even conference games. Now, you need to win your conferences games for sure, but those midweek games, unfortunately, Houston is not one that's going to greatly elevate the program, but still you want to win because uh, and, and complete the season sweep of them, so we'll see how that goes. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. Saw another mock draft that the Saints are going to pick Keon White. I just This guy, Keon White, just sounds like Davenport to me. He started out at Old Dominion. Now, Davenport didn't do that, but he started out as a tight end. Now, tight end is different than wide receiver. I get that. But he started out as a tight end. Trent, you know, switched to defensive end while he was in college. And he had like 19 stops behind the line. And then they didn't play during that the bad COVID season. And then he transferred to Georgia Tech. And now he's a prospect as a first-round draft pick. You just can't go down that road right now. Like, he might turn out to be a great player. He's 6'5", 285. But after Peyton Turner, who so far um, has not turned out to be Wayne Martin, like I was hoping, and after going through Davenport and all the frustration there, people need to stop saying Keon White. They just cannot go down that road. Now, if they want to pick an edge rusher, okay, I'll listen but it can't be someone with a resume very similar to Davenport. That can't happen. So they need to stop saying Keon White. That better not happen. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning, Kevin. You Good morning, the sir. Game tonight? I plan on being there. Yes, sir. I will see you there, I hope. <laughs> yes, sir. Do you think the Cajun schedule come the end of the year is going to hurt them getting into a regional? Oh, I think it's I think it's possible. And again, some of it is self-induced, and some of it was just bad luck. I mean, I, what do you think? I mean, the only people besides besides Campbell and the Mississippi State, there's nobody that they played in the top fifty in the RPI. Right. Now, again, I think they got a little fooled by how high the RPI was, some of the teams that were, and then you were adding Southern Miss, and they probably got a little too overconfident as far as, you know, how many high RPI teams they would play within the conference. But BYU had a, was a solid team last year. I don't have any serious problems with them scheduling them. Uh, I think the high point when is the one, like Dawson said yesterday, that was a little probably they probably shouldn't have gone quite that route. But teams like 
Southeastern and Louisiana Tech have a history of being better than what they are this year. And I just, I don't, I don't think, I can't blame them for that. So a lot of that is just bad luck. Will the day ever come where they will schedule, you think, like the girls do in softball to offset the weakness of the conference? Well, they didn't do it quite to that extent. Um, and look, it's a lot easier to do in softball because you can go play a, a tournament in Florida and play five or six teams. You know, they did the baseball team did some of that last year. It just didn't turn out like Irvine didn't turn out to be as good as they originally thought, and they sometimes are. Uh, but they went to that tournament in Round Rock and played Arkansas and Stunford, who theoretically, you know, could be top ten, top fifteen type teams. So they did some of that. Um, but it no, I don't think it'll it'll be as crazy now, especially now that the Sun Belt. Look, the Sun Belt is the best of all of the Sun of the sports that the Cajuns are in. Like of of all the sports, the Sun Belt I think is the best. I guess this year you could argue softball, but I still think baseball. Baseball, the Sun Belt is deeper in baseball than it is in softball. And so I think it's the best of the leagues, but it does it's not a guarantee to take care of you. If you're gonna say that, then okay, if you put the top okay, you put uh ULL in the in a uh ACC or Big Twelve or SEC in baseball, where will they be? bottom well, of the pack in a, in a division? Well, we don't know that. I mean, you know, again, you, until you're in those situations, you don't know what what, what you're going to be. I mean, um, I, you know, I think and there's some be, years where they can compete can just fine. You can all you want, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Well, again, last year I think it would have. Look, I think this Cajuns team is better than last year's Cajun team. But, but – and last year, when they played Tech, it helped them in the RPI. This year, it doesn't, which they have no control over. Yep, I agree. And so, you I just agree. you can be better and be in worse position. Like, what's wrong with Southern Miss? You, you, didn't, you didn't respect Southern Miss last program last year? Or the year before? Or the year before that? Well, they're, they're, those programs like, like, like them, they're – they're roller coasters. They're good for two years. They're horrible for three. They're good for one. They're bad for two. They're roller coaster programs. They're not. There's nothing consistent there. Well, they're pretty good. I mean, I mean, a lot of programs are like what you just described. I don't know that Southern Miss is is that inconsistent, but no. I mean, they're they may not ever. They may not be as good as they were uh, last year. Just like Coastal. Coastal hasn't been as good. Of course, they haven't been as good as the, they were the year they won, but they're still a solid program, and they're pretty good this year. Yeah, they are. All righty. See you tonight. All right. Take care. Um, Again, I think a lot of that is bad luck. I I do think that – I I, I when I when I heard that the Cages kind of – I don't know what word you want to use. Like maybe schedule to change their tweak their scheduling philosophy a little bit uh, because of all the teams that were had RPIs in the top thirty or forty um, last year. 
it scared me a little bit because you just don't know. That's so, like, programs like the Big 12, I mean, conferences like the Big 12 and the SEC, you know you're going to have X number of teams and they're all going to be in it because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's guaranteed because they play each other. Yeah. Like, look, I think, uh, you know, and I understand some of the points that the previous caller just made, but I I don't know if he's given the Sun Belt kind of the respect it deserves. It's... Look, there's 31 conferences in Division One baseball. The Sun Belt's ranked fifth in RPI out of 31 conferences. Yeah, it's not the SEC. Nobody's the SEC. They have 10, you know, top 15, top 20 teams. But it's, it, I mean, it's right there with Power Five. If you wanted to create a Power Five in baseball right now, the Sun Belt would have an argument to be the fifth conference. It's ahead of Conference USA. It's ahead of the Big Ten. Uh, it's right there with the Big 12. It won 162 non-conference games in the Sun Belt right now. That's third behind only the SEC and the ACC. So, yeah, it's not the SEC. And again, some of the problems with this year's Sun Belt is going to be the rest of the committee and stuff reacting to how good it is or isn't and maybe not being sure because it's a newer thing. But in the last two or three years, the conference has gotten better. And right now, it, I mean, you're in a position where in the next couple of years, if the Sun Belt stays on the path it's on, they're going to have four or five teams in every year. Yeah. And look, they've gotten multiple teams in many times. The, the, like, in basketball, it's a one-bid league, and it's been a one-bid league for a long time. But in baseball, baseball, it's the best of – the Sun Belt is the best of all the Sun Belt leagues. But even with that, it's still a mid-major, which means that unless you have a really special year where you have – like, Texas State was really good last year. They got a lot of people back. I don't know why they're not as good this year, but they, they're still good. They're just not really, really, really good. You know, Georgia Southern, you know, I, I think some of that stuff is fluky and creative accounting and all those. Th- like their RPI last year for a while was like eight and all that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that Georgia Southern's tremendously worse than they were last year, but whatever reason it didn't work out where their RPI is what it was last year. And so even though, like, the Cajuns, I mean, the Sun Belt could finish top five in in overall RPI, and still not have, but maybe one team in the top forty when the you know, or two teams in the top forty when the when the season ends, and still only get like two or three teams in potentially. So, depending on who wins the conference tournament, obviously. So, it's frustrating, but I you know I I think you can I think as a baseball coach. You can count on not being hurt by the Sun Belt, but I don't know that you can always count on being helped out as much as I think some coaches thought going into this season. They could get helped out by just playing your conference schedule. So it's a little still scheduling is still a little tricky for, you know, for Big 12 and ACC and SEC. It's not tricky at all, but first it's still tricky for any mid-major. It just it just is. All right, we'll take a timeout and come back. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game we have with us. Our good friend, Mr. Bobby Nova. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you this morning? Well, I'm, um, you know, doing okay. The Astros have won two in a row. Uh, so I'm liking that. By the way, did you see... Um, I saw a clip. I certainly didn't see it live, but I saw a clip of our friend Nestor Cortez, and I say friend because he's on my fantasy team and you're a Yankee fan, of him kind of hanging up with his foot and just kind of manip- trying to manipulate the whole time. And, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody hold up their leg and gyrate it in so many different directions before releasing a pitch in my life. Well, you must have never watched him pitch because he does that quite often. But I mean, this yeah, I have seen him do it. But I thought he this was like over the top, even by his standards. Well, I didn't see that, but 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 I did did watch my team lose on my way up here last night, so that's not good. But I don't know how he keeps his balance when he does all that stuff. I don't. I don't either. I don't either. And from what you're telling me, it's even more exaggerated this time than, than than. what I'm used to seeing, you know, it was it was crazy. I never seen him do it quite to that extent. But anyway, uh, it, I, I try to tell people it's early, so I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't well, he's worry. Good, he's gotten you a couple of wins, didn't he? Oh, he's got me two wins. No, I mean, I, I, I picked him because I thought he was good. I, I still think he's good. Well, he is good. All right. So, do you agree with me? That more than any time during the season, that the Cajun softball team is probably in its best position. It doesn't guarantee anything, but probably in its best position to go to Waco tonight and College Station tomorrow and try to go two and zero against those two teams who both are in the top twenty-five in RPI. I don't always agree with you, but I, I definitely agree with you on that one. And, uh, you know, looking forward to tonight and tomorrow night, and hopefully we can get a couple of wins, and that'd be great for the RPI. I think uh, I think Baylor's 19 and A&M's 23, if I'm not mistaken. And then a three-game series against Texas State this weekend, who's also in the top 40. So five big games for the Cajun softball program this weekend. This week, rather. Yeah, no, no, no question there. So, what have you, you know, I kind of glanced at what Baylor's done in the last few weekends and what their overall record was, but I haven't really done any kind of a deep dive into them. So, what are your impressions, and and what could the Cajuns be facing tonight in Baylor? Well, Baylor, you know, they 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 don't hit for a lot of power. They're they're um, they've only hit 15 home runs this season. They hit 298 as a team. They don't feel very well. They, they've committed 43 errors. They feel that, that 963, but what they really do well is pitch. Um, you know, they, they've got uh, Dariana Army, whose ERA is 0.98. She's 12 and 4. And Riley Crandall's ERA is, is right at 2. She's 11 and 4. And that seems to be the, uh, the strongest part of their team. And they do run. You know, they, they like to steal bases. They've, they've stolen 63 out of 73 uh, bases this season. So uh, it looks like they've got some speed, not a whole lot of power. 
uh, but they, what they really do is pitch really, really well. You know, Coach Glasgow did it again yesterday and mentioned it again a week ago. And, and when he said it, I'm like, yeah, you know, that that, that was an issue at times last season. And, and he talked about how one of the biggest improvements this year has been keeping other teams from stealing too many bases against them. So it sounds like they could be challenged more with that tonight than they have been in most other games other than maybe like UCLA this year. Yeah, and I think a, a big part of that, Kevin, is is the fact that I think the Cajuns have scored, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the first inning 23 times. So when you get an, e- an early lead like that, it tends to to maybe slow the uh, the opposition's running game down a little bit also. And uh, I think that's been a, a key uh, to uh, slowing down the the running game of, of the teams the Cajuns are playing. So, uh, but yeah, tonight's going to be a challenge. You know, they've got uh, they've got a, a kid, Mackenzie Wilson, who's stolen 16 bases out of 17, and a Presley Pylon, she's stolen 11 out of 14. So, a couple of kids that that can run, and uh, the key there is to keep them off the bases. And then the Shaylin Govan is their uh, their leading power hitter. She's got seven home runs and she's driven in 39. So if you can keep Govan in the yard and Wilson and Pollan off the bases, your uh, the chances of winning go up. Now you, you've probably been there before, huh? At Baylor. Yes. There, is it any bigger times. of a park than, I mean, most softball parks are not that different, but is it, or do they just not have a lot of power? Or is it a bigger park than you normally play in? It's a, it's a, it's a big park with a really big uh, high fence. Out in the outfield, you know. So yeah, maybe that has something to do with it. But you know, Baylor's a good team. They're thirty and nine. They've got some some really good wins. You know, they they beat Oklahoma. They got a couple of wins against Minnesota. They split with Texas A and M, and they got two wins against Tennessee. So you know, a team that's very capable uh, of, uh, of playing some good softball, especially at home. They're uh, they're twenty and three at their home park. So it's going to be a nice challenge tonight. All right. So do you think this team, if the Cajuns can go one and one in these two games, that's what they need? Or, and when I say need, I, I, again, I'm talking about getting to the point where if you do what you're going to do the rest of the year in conference, that you could get, to a 13 or a better seed, or do you think they need to sweep these two games to get to that point? Well, Kevin, I think I think we talked, you know, before the season started, and uh, looking at this, the, the 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 whole schedule, I felt like if the Cajuns win 43 or 44 games, they'll put themselves in a a good position to host, and uh, they're at 30 wins right now with 16 to go. So, you know, you got to go. Uh, you got to go 13 and three, something like that, to get to 43 wins. And uh, it, you know, of course, it'd be really nice to to sweep on this road trip. But I think uh, if they split, that would you know that would be a, a also a good road trip. But I know the goal is to win both games, of course. So we'll see what happens, and uh, got to take care of business the rest of the way in conference play. And then you know we've got some. Non-conference games, I think, against Southeastern and and uh, Louisiana Tech down the road, also. So, 
Um, it's not all about just these two games. You got to got to take care of business the rest of the way. One of the things, you know, we've seen Megan Shorman pitch really well against really good teams. Um, of late, we've seen Sam Landry pitch better, and it seems like she's doing a better job of doing what she said she what she talked about in the preseason press conference, which is not have to strike out everyone and trust her stuff to p- pitch to contact a little more. Is that what you've seen, or what do you think's been the difference with her in her last four games? I think the difference in the last four games with Sam is, is that she's been throwing first pitch strikes and uh, and getting ahead in the count, you know, and that way she can use her changeup and her drop ball like she wants to use it and not have to just throw, you know, try to throw the ball down the middle of the plate to uh, to get back into the count. And I think that's been the key for Sam, and she's run a, done a really, really good job of, in her last four starts of not walking a lot of people. And, again, you know, the key to that is throwing first-pitch strikes and, and allowing her to use all of her pitches, which, she, you know, she can throw them all. She can throw up and down and in and out and then she, She's got that elite changeup, and when she gets ahead in the count early, it allows her to use that changeup in, in, in any count. I think that's been the uh, the key to her success since she's been pitching much better. Do you think Texas State is the best, the second best team in the conference? Oh man, they could be. I mean, you know, when Mullins is going well, now she hasn't pitched a whole lot. Since uh, the middle of March, and I don't know if that's just a a plan that uh, you know just to kind of cut back on her innings and try to keep her as fresh as they can for the end of the season. But when Mullins is 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 is, is right, I think they that that's a good statement. Now that's, that's a good chance that they are the uh, the second best team in the conference. We'll see this weekend. I had kind of heard you know that she was maybe having some problems with some uh, blisters on her pitching hand and. Uh, maybe that's why she hadn't been pitching as much lately. But um, you know, even though their record is, you know, not that great, their RPI, you know, they're still in the top forty. So yeah, I think uh, I think they're they're right there as being uh, the second best team in the conference, along with you know teams like, uh, of course, you know, you always got to put South Allen in the conversation, even though they haven't been able. to they haven't had a whole lot of success against the Cajuns in the past few years since Coach. They haven't uh, defeated the Cajuns since Coach Glasgow's been here, and um, you know Troy Marshall, teams like that also have to be in a conversation when you when you're talking about you know who has a chance to win the uh, the tournament. I mean the uh, the conference other than the Cajuns. All right. Well, things are going really well right now. When we talk next week, they could be going really, really well if these next five games go as planned. We'll see what happens, and you have a safe trip, sir. Thank you, sir, and we'll. Uh, I guess we'll see you this weekend. Absolutely. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach foot would have been? When they hit it to you and you're in the major leagues, you catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. 
Back to footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Just got a few minutes left. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. We just were talking to Bobby Nova, and there's no question, like, Baylor is obviously very good. Like Bobby detailed, they have some really good wins this year, including beating Tennessee twice recently. And, and I wonder if a faster team that doesn't try to hit for power might actually be a better matchup. For, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I'm not, like, convinced of that. But I, I was as he was talking, I'm trying to figure out, is that a good matchup or a better matchup for what the Cajuns do defensively and in the circle? I'm, I'm not I'm not sold on that. But what I am, especially if the Cajuns can win one of these two games, what I am pretty convinced of is if the committee does not reward the Cajuns for playing the schedule that it's played, then – that sends an awful message to mid-majors all around the country. Like, if someone's going to play this crazy schedule like Coach Glasgow's schedule, and they hold their own, and yeah, a couple of the games they didn't play well in, but anybody who plays all those teams, they're going to have games that they're not going to play well in. But they certainly showed like they belong. And they, you could, you would have to argue that they at least held their own against that schedule. And so I, I think unless there's some sort of late season collapse here, um, which you know you don't, it seems like they've actually come out pretty well on the other. It hasn't like crushed them because I think they're actually playing at a higher level now than they were then when they played the bulk of those really, you know, top 10 teams. Um, I just think it's going to be very interesting to see if the committee rewards them and or how much the committee rewards them. Uh, again, just hosting is not going to do it for me. If, if they're hosting as a 14, 15, or 16 seed, I just – Uh, you know, I, depending on unless they fall apart late, uh, that won't be enough. I mean, I, I and I, I wouldn't. I'd rather travel. Again, we've talked about that, and not many people disagree with me. But I would rather travel if I'm a 17, 18, 19 seed. I'd rather travel. But we'll see how it plays out. But again, still got a lot of work to do. Huge game. Well, when we come back. Lord willing, on Monday, we'll know a lot more. Like, there still will be games left to play, but the the bulk of the schedule will have been played for the softball team. So, we'll know a lot after these five games. A lot. I mean, you, you it, it, at that point, it'll be about, okay, 
can you just avoid a letdown as long as you beat who you're supposed to beat from after that from that point on you're like um you you know the bulk of all the games that we've been talking about since the the season opener will have been played so this is it this is the big week the final big week before you get to the Sunbelt Conference tournament which is going to be played here um you know so it it's kind of it's huge and you know, I don't know. I guess you could go three and two and still be okay, but you need to go at least three and two. If you go four and one and obviously five and zero, oh, I mean, it would be spectacular. I I don't know how realistic that is. We'll 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 see. But on paper, Baylor's the toughest. They're starting out out of these five games. This is the toughest one. So we'll see how how they play tonight. I I was kind of surprised they even tried to start Megan on Sunday. I would think Megan is pitching tonight um, because she's their best pitcher and she's pitched the best uh, against really good teams. And so I would think that she would pitch tonight and then Sam would start tomorrow and they would mix and match as they need to. But we'll, we'll see. I just know that the two, three, four right now of of Carly and Laney and Lauren is just – not only, as we talked yesterday, is it at least one or two names differently, it's probably playing at a higher level right now than I thought the 2-3-4 would play all season. I mean, they it, they are just – I'm not surprised at all by Carly's season because we saw it last season. And we saw Laney's potential last season. But there's a difference between getting a, being a good pinch hitter here and there and being as consistently good. as She's hitting over 500. It's just incredible. We'll see what happens tonight. Y'all have a nice day.